from the Santa Inez Valley, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two men who are not drinking Merlot, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Me, I'm I'm actually just focused on World Cup right now, but I always appreciate a good Alexander Payne sideways reference. Corey, who sent that one in? That was written by Jason Croons, who's making a reference to that movie about drinking that I have a DVD of that I watched before. <laughs> sideways? <laughs> yeah. Sideways. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love Corey. Uh, Corey makes me laugh. He's the Coreyest. He is. Wade, uh, we have uh, the surprise creative hit of the year. Yeah, we do. Who would have thunk it? Yeah, we, we do. And those Who would guys, have thunk that this movie they, would be great? They are such interesting directors. They really do. They are. And I didn't see this in, uh, when it, when it uh, played theatrically, so it's, it's nice to catch up with it on, uh, on Blue. What are we talking about? You'll find out. Oh, you will. Yes, you will. But first, we are going to talk about documentaries so boring they will put you to sleep. Actually. Oh, really? No, not really. Well, actually, we got a few documentaries. Probably worth uh, making a quick mention of a few of them, just right, out, right from the outset. Uh, Pandora's Promise. Did you see this, Mark? I did not. It's not bad. I mean, it's kind of dry, but it's, it's interesting. Whenever you have a documentary that's really dry, it's always interesting to, as long as it's an interesting subject, uh, it's not good. No, the, um, uh, the whole, this is the whole idea of... Um, uh, nuclear power and whether or not you know the promise of nuclear power is really worth uh, things like the you know Fukushima plant and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's interesting. It, it talks to a lot of people who have um, who actually are they've gone you know from being anti-nuclear to pro-nuclear. Believe it or not, hmm. it's very interesting. I uh, I don't know that it actually reaches any kind of a, a great conclusion or anything, but it certainly it, it pokes your brain a little bit, and uh, it's good. Robert Stone, who directed it, uh, good guy. Good guy. Um, nothing illuminating there, but uh, this one, as long as we're on environmental uh, docs, Frack Nation. Uh, you know, everybody keeps talking about fracking. I'll be honest with you. I, I thought it was a reference to Battlestar Galactica for the longest time. Yeah, I still don't know what fracking is. It's like with oil and they break... It's like shale. Know. It's like they basically pulverize the crap out of the shale to get oil out of it. And, uh, why is that bad? Well, because a lot of people... They, they, well, there's a whole, a whole litany of reasons why it's bad. So some people say. Um, but it's like, you know, fracking is short for fracturing, as in like hydraulic fracturing, right? It's like bam, bam, bam. Um, so like, it's got, like, like, like bam, bam. Exactly, like <laughs> Flintstones, exactly. Uh, so you, you're, you're basically um, just pummeling like all kinds of liquid and fluid and, and really intense pressure, and you're, you're, you know, breaking up the shale and getting the gas out. And I don't really understand the process all that much. But uh, what they what they, the the issues have to do with a number of things seismic issues in other words whether or not you're you're causing instability in the Earth's crust and along fault lines and stuff uh, possibly contaminating groundwater and you know a whole bunch of other issues so obviously stuff on either either side um, but this is called frac nation and this is um, a, a rather thorough and methodical look at uh, how it all shakes out and who's lying and who's exaggerating and who's not and who has you know ulterior motives 
And again, I don't know that I came away from this feeling like I had, uh, I'd finally gotten a grip on the subject, but I, at least I, I know that it has nothing to do with Battlestar Galactica anymore. And I, and I think that's important. A uh, bunch of cool titles, too, from First Run Features, who uh, have their cool little eco-packaging and their little tiny sleeves. Uh, James Thurber, The Life and Hard Times. You probably know who James Thurber is, don't you? He's an author. Among other things. A uh, famous humorist. Well-known. I mean, he you know, wrote the, uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the original short story. Uh, did cartoons for The New Yorker. Um, anyway, this is a documentary on uh, his life, narrated by George Plimpton. Uh, and uh, it's lovely. He, uh, you know, you, you develop, he's definitely a, a New Yorkery guy. Uh, he, he sort of defines the Renaissance man that they, the, the magazine appeals to. Uh, Top Hat and Tales, Harold Ross and the Making of the New Yorker, by the same director, Adam Van Doren, is kind of a uh, companion piece. Uh, the previous one obviously narrated by George Plimpton. This one's narrated by Stanley Tucci. Very appropriate. Plimpton is much more of a Thurbery kind of guy. Tucci gets inside Harold Ross, who's, uh, who's much more of a force of nature. And uh, this is obviously much more about the, you know, the, the business background and how it was all put together. And uh, also very, very interesting. Uh, you forget what a really extraordinary effort The New Yorker was and still is. I mean, it's a, it, 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 I don't think The New Yorker has suffered a single bit in the whole publishing meltdown, has it? You know, I used to uh, subscribe to The New Yorker on my iPad. Yeah. And I uh, canceled it. You know why? Why? Because I can't keep up with them. It's every week. And the whole magazine, which by I mean, I, who, we all every know, essay is seventy five thousand words. All se- you know what? I can't sit there and listen to, and read a seventy five thousand word essay on some woman's like summer in the and summer in New England. And that's all it is. <laughs> I know. I can't. I mean, I love the New Yorker. I yeah. you know Anthony Lane is one of my favorite film critics. I love reading that guy. That guy's great. He's great. You know, and really Sarah Hirsch does some interesting work at the New Yorker. So yeah. I mean, it's great. And Woody Allen will sometimes come up with an essay in the New Yorker. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the New Yorker. But isn't that sad that we're so busy now? Wasn't isn't technology supposed to? Wasn't it supposed to unleash our free time? Like robots are doing everything, so I can sit down and read this, the New Yorker. Great, I'm holding in my hand now yeah. is my free time. Yeah, in my hand. No, no, not that. <laughs> yeah, free time. This is what I'm holding. What am I holding in my hand, Wade? A Kindle. I love yeah. my Kindle. Here's what I have in my Kindle now, Wade. Uh-huh. This is what I have. Um, I, this is what I'm reading now. You ready? Yeah. I am reading right now Ray Bradbury's short stories. Good. All right. Chosen by Bradbury himself. Sure. I just downloaded Elmore Leonard swag. Yeah. You know, I'm, sure. I've read, I've read oh, a few boy. Leonard novels. I've, I read The Talented Mr. Ripley, uh-huh. Patricia Highsmith, the original. Yeah. I read Gone Girl, which is uh, David Fincher's new film. Mm-hmm. I've read the book. I've never so pretty much I know how the film ends. Fantastic, good for me. I have read Twelve Years a Slave, uh huh, the Solomon Northup, which is amazing. Um, and I've got other stuff too. I've got the Oscar Wilde collection. I got the Mark Twain collection, and uh, it's great. Kindle rules, the end. Un- 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 good, un- unequivocal Kindle rules. I have never read so much in my life. And just a few other docs here, real quickly, uh, as you I go ahead and I ignore Mark I and his his Kindle. Uh, Kindle should be kindling. Paul Bowles, the cage door is always open. Uh, before Bowles died, the, 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 he left a lot of interviews, and uh, this uh, kind of folds those in with a lot of uh, thoughts and interviews with people who knew him and worked with him, including Bernardo Bertolucci. Remember Bertolucci did The Sheltering Sky based on a Bowles novel? 
and uh, you know Gore Vidal, John Waters, uh, William Burroughs, on and on and on and on. He's one of those kind of uh, you know twitty renaissancey uh, writers from that generation who um, just lived a legendary life. And this gets into the work and the life and all that stuff. And it is very workmanlike. It's very solid. Uh, again, doesn't really transcend the, what you would expect it to be, but it is exactly what you would expect it to be. So well done by Daniel Young, but uh, you know, not, not exactly groundbreaking work. Uh, Peter Brook, always interesting to uh, see what he does. Simon Brook uh, made the documentary about Peter Brook called The Tightrope. And um, it's essentially a master class with, uh, with Peter Brook. And to looking at how he directs theater, his whole philosophy of uh, you know working with actors and staging, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and it centers mainly on a particular uh, technique that he calls the tightrope, which uh, you it, when you watch this you will understand and it will make sense. So um, his son, you know, got, just decided he would film. His dad do, go elaborating on all of these very particular theoretical approaches to uh, techniques, and this one in particular, and uh, it's it's good. Uh, Peter Brook, I, I think, is one of the more underrated directors, not just in theater but in film. I keep talking about this. I wish, even though you can see the whole thing on YouTube, I really wish they would do a Blu-ray of his King Lear, which I think is just. Uh, Paul Schofield is amazing. The black and white photography is stark and really disturbing the sound design is 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 equally eerie i think it's a great film and you can see it on youtube free but i want it on blu-ray and then from the athena line the acorn athena line is um alexander's lost world which is uh, a journey with david adams who is a journalist and a war correspondent uh, this is essentially a, a journey through the lands that Alexander the Great once conquered and occupied, etc., etc. It is an elaborate series. Uh, it is probably, it's like it's over four hours long easily, and um, it is it is uh, it asks a lot of very very interesting and provocative questions. Includes a lot of great educational material, and especially considering how all of those lands are still at the center of all of our current uh, global disputes and, and, and all of that, it really is interesting to uh, kind of venture into this and uh, poke that part of your brain. So I think Alexander's Lost World is a pretty particularly great title. And then lastly, Tim's Vermeer, a Penn and Teller film, which uh, was one of my favorite documentaries of last year. I gave a push with our, our L.A. film critic voting to have people consider this. I don't think anybody saw this. Uh, they sent us a bunch of copies of this. Did you have a chance to watch Tim's Vermeer? Uh, yeah, it's very good. It's really good, man. It's really good. Anything that Penn and Teller have anything to do with, I just think is awesome. Uh, but anyway, this uh, this is basically an approach to um, the uh, uh, basically how Vermeer managed to be so insanely detailed with his uh, with his painting, and it uh, it's a uh, it's a rather interesting scientific investigation by this guy named Tim Jennison, uh, Tim Jennison who is a, an inventor from Texas who decides to uh, basically spend years and years and years to try to unravel the mystery of what he thinks is you know, Vermeer's painting. There is a commentary here which is both uh, insightful and incredibly funny on, on some very, very subtle levels. Deleted in alternate sequences and um, 
a Q&A from the Toronto Film Festival when the thing premiered. This is a, a Blu-ray and DVD combo set from Sony Pictures Classics, and I think, uh, if not the best doc of last year, certainly in the, in the top five. Wait, let's talk about the uh, surprise creative success of 2014, the Lego movie. Man, did I just have no desire to see this thing on the, from the outset. Uh, I just you know thought, what? Nobody really? did. We, all, we were all like, uh, you, are, you, are you essing me? But you know what? These guys are the real deal, man. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs, kind of put them on the map. For uh, Lord Christopher Miller. And, and uh, I love 22 Jump Street. I, I love 22 Jump Street. It is hysterical. It is right up there with Tropic Thunder and Team America for me. Now, we don't get this. The bizarre part is that these guys are supposedly signed to do Alvin and the Chipmunks 4. Now, if they do... For Alvin and the Chipmunks, what they did with Lego Movie, I mean, it'll be literally like the achievement of the century. And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you another movie that, that goes in line with that. If they if they manage to work that same kind of satirical, very wry, just backhanded uh, satire, you know what else did that? And and I didn't like the first Gremlins at all. I think the first Gremlins is stupid. The Chris, but Gremlins two is a wicked satire. I mean, it is a wicked, wicked satire. And I think it's totally underrated. I think if people watch Gremlins 2 again today, man, that movie is funny. And that's bold, you know, because nowadays, I mean, if you, you make you, a sequel, it has to be just like the original. I mean, do you, do you remember Gremlins 2 when they take over the theater? Yeah. And you have the, 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 the Siskel and Ebert Gremlins I doing mean, their little... Oh, come on, man. I mean, it's been a lot of years, but I remember it oh, vaguely, that was yeah. genius. That was genius. Anyway, Lego Movie... Unbelievable how, how this actually works. I just it's astonishing to me. It's just breathtaking. Because it's uh, it's funny. It is. It's you know what it's it, it packs a lot of gags. It's visually you know what's funny is that uh, I saw there was an episode of The Simpsons a couple of months ago. Yeah. Almost the entire episode was made of Legos. Marge was Legos. Oh, I remember that. It's completely not funny. It's almost yeah. as if they 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 wrote it. They really backed away from the humor. Went out of their show. way. Well, no, what they did was, instead of embracing Legos and everything it brings to it, yeah. they really kind of like, it was almost like they were scared to write anything too satirical or funny or make the laughs come too quickly because then they'd have to figure out how to animate it with Legos. You know, the, the fact that it was a Lego episode really stunted their creativity. But here, these guys, they take the whole Lego thing and they just run wild with it. They do. Absolutely wild. You also get a little figurine here, a little... Uh Vitruvius Lego minifigurine, and it's a it's a nice big bold plastic set that you know is just screams at you. You can't miss this one. A little bonus 3D movie extras that just gobs and gobs of extras. Uh, it's really fun. It's really fun. So uh, that that is the shocker of the year, and how they managed to do that and 22 Jump Street uh, literally within like the same 12 month period. I don't understand, but they they nailed it, man. They sure did. Uh, here's a surprise. A kind of a charming little movie called Rob the Mob. Rob the Mob is a, um, it is a movie about these uh, boyfriend-girlfriend, played by uh, Michael Pitt and Nina Arianda, and uh, they get arrested for robbing a florist on Valentine's Day. They get uh, sprung from the pokey, and uh, they try to get their life straight, and of course all sorts of craziness ensues. And that craziness includes uh, appearances by Ray Romano and Andy Garcia. And, uh, you know, i got to say, I, this thing seemed like a big nothing to me. Who, baby? Huh? Who, baby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
Um, no, you know what? It's, it's, it's a very deft balance between uh, comedy and drama. Uh, the Lees, I don't, you know, I'm not that, I mean, Michael Pitt, I know the name, not that familiar with him. Uh, Nina Arianda, I don't know who that is at all, but they're pretty charming together. It's got a lot of atmosphere. Um, it's, it's got, got a couple laughs. It's, uh, it's really not bad. It's really not bad. It's a pleasant surprise. Rob the Mob. Check it out. So Neil Labute has been all over the map uh, in his career, and some of the films have been good, some are not so good. Why you would do the, like the remake of The Wicker Man and crazy stuff. But uh, Some Velvet Morning, written and directed by Neil Labute, as he should do all of his films, is back in style. Um, really good. Oh, excuse me, wait. My goodness. Really good performances from Stanley Tucci and Alice Eve in what is very much like classic Neil Labute stuff, a, a hard-hitting play translated into a film. That's what this feels like. Uh, Stanley Tucci's a guy, they used to have, they, you know, these two were lovers, once had an affair. He claims he's left his wife. They haven't seen each other for four years. And, uh, th- but things do not necessarily get started again with the same verve that he was perhaps expecting. And uh, it, 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 takes in, it goes into some dark directions, some dark, obsessive directions, and uh, quite well put together. Not one of the best films of last year, but definitely kind of a return to form. And uh, I'll tell you, Alice Eve, not somebody that I've really necessarily had my eye on, uh, but uh, you know, when, you, when you're acting opposite Stanley Tucci, pretty great. And he, he forces everyone to just elevate their game. Speaking pretty great, Wade, let's do a Criterion. Do it. The Beatles, Hard Day's Night. Oh, yeah, baby. This is good stuff from and, 1964. And yes. we should point out, this is being uh, released theatrically, concurrent with the Criterion release. There is, you know, this, this is working its way around the country. So uh, don't be surprised if uh, you suddenly see Hard Day's Night show up on a screen near you. And even if you have this, even if you go out and get the Criterion Blu-ray... You, you, you should see this projected. It's a great movie to see projected, especially with a crowded audience. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, we don't really have musical artists like the Beatles anymore because, you know, when the Beatles first hit in 1964, UA, yeah. they wanted to do a Beatles movie before the fad went away because yeah. who, who knew how long it was going to... I mean, frankly, the Beatles were d- d- done by 1970. So it was, like a, it was like a half a million dollar budget. They hired an American, Richard Lester. Yep. Who was you know who would later be named the father of the music video thanks to films like this? Yep. And they shot this movie, and you know what? The movie captures the energy and youth of the band. It wound up being released within months of, what, of being shot. They yep. wanted to rush this thing out, and uh, it's fun. It's a really fun film. It's uh, got a lot of great music. It's got a lot of great attitude. It just it just shows the boys uh, being real and being musical, and just shows that they that all four of them, some more than others, but all four of them have some. Uh, musical and uh, have some movie presence you know and so it's great the criterion of course knocks it out of the park uh, it's a 4k digital restoration um it's got all sorts of extras 2002 documentary about the film with which features lester and george martin and george martin their producer who's still around he amazing will, he will talk about the beatles all day long that's all he does. Like his job at this point because who knows it's, how old he is talking about, about the beatles, beatles. Um, and it's great it's it's, it's a must-buy it's got a great booklet. It's got great music. It's got great extras. Hard Day's Night looks beautiful. It's all in uh, beautiful black and white. Low budge black and white. Grainy black and white. But still good looking. It's 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 consistent and respectful to the original print. Because again, this yep. is like 
you know, 60 years ago, so it's going to look a little grainy, and that's okay. Low budge, black and white, old. It should look grainy, and it does look grainy. So it's just a lot of madcap clowning and uh, crazy, inventive, mockumentary-type jokes in a hard day's night. You guys got to get it. Criterion. Sweet. You, you could give this to me if you wanted to. You wish. So, uh, Guillaume Canet. Mark, why do we hate Guillaume Canet? Because you know he why makes we... four-hour thrillers. No, 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 no. Guillaume Canet. We, we hate him for a very particular reason. Because he's related to Robert Guillaume from Benson? Oh, my gosh. Why do I do that? Why? why? Tell me Guillaume Canet does not make four-hour thrillers. That are great, by the way, but they're like four hours. No, Guillaume Canet. Here's the reason we hate him. Um, because the, you and I sat next to his betrothed at LAFCA, at a LAFCA dinner once. We did. Oh, uh, uh, Marion Cotillard. No, yes. I sat next to her. You were like at some other table. <laughs> no, I sat. Ne- I sat right next to her, and this is before she was kind of Marion Cotillard. So, that's why we hate him because no. he because he he got Marion Cotillard. Well, no, he no. But here's the thing. No, no, no. Hang on for a second. Yeah. Okay. Before Marion Cotillard was really Marion Cotillard. Yes. And we gave her best actress to Olivia and Rose, which she would later win an Oscar for. Yes. She sat next to me at the Lacka dinner, mm-hmm. and you were there somewhere. Who knows what? Yes. So I'm talking to her. She's very sweet. And everybody else at the table were kind of these Euro douchebags Tr- oh that, my she, that, that she had come with. Well, it's, it's and the, it was very disappointing. The film's director, that was yes. yeah, who just did the uh, the disastrous uh, can opener, um, the Princess Grace That's right. movie. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he he tanked that one. Boy, was that a shanker. So Mary made Cotillard, Harvey made Harvey look like a genius. So Mary Cotillard, yeah, beautiful, very nice, very shy. Couldn't believe all this was happening mm-hmm. to her. Talking to her, very nice. It's me, Marion, you were somewhere. Yeah. And like eight other Euro douchebags that make me go, you know what? A, I have no chance with this woman now. Because she obviously likes Euro douchebags. As if, as, as, as literally, she could like eight clones of me and I still wouldn't get her. Yeah. So it's not like I ever had a chance. Yeah. But when I saw the eight Euro douchebags, I thought, you know what? I have no chance. And it was just disappointing that somebody that sweet and that nice would be interested in Euro douchebags. Well... Guillaume Canet uh, just directed a, a, the English language film Blood Ties, which he co-wrote, by the way, with James Gray, who just directed Marion Cotillard in The Immigrant. So there's the which whole. Which I missed. Little... I really, really wanted to see. Um, yeah, I still have to. I still have to catch up with it, which makes me feel bad because I, I, you know, I've known James for as long as I've known everybody from that little clique. Um, that goes all back to the, the Matt Reeves thing, you know. That's Matt Reeves was in film school with James Gray, so was Brian Burke. That's how I met James Gray. You know this. Did I ever tell you the story? Have I ever uh, told this story on the show? I don't know. I first met James Gray. Here we go. Now, James I'm, Gray, who directed uh, The Gray. The, 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 and, no, no, no. Uh, not, I mean, not The Gray. gray. The, the, who directed no, Little, Little, uh, Odessa Little Odessa and a million other things. We Own the Night. Anyway, uh, which is very much like Blood Ties, I should point out. He co-wrote this. It's based on... Let me just cover this first, and then I'll get into this. So uh, there's a, the, the, the movie uh, Blood Ties is originally a French film by Jacques Maillot. Guillaume Canet and James, James Gray wrote the script. Canet directed it. It's basically set in the 70s. Uh, Clive Owen and Billy Crudup are brothers on the wrong side of the law, right? You know... Uh, uh, Clive Owen is the is the ex-con. His younger brother is uh, Billy Crudup, who's a cop. And you know, one gets out of prison, and then he can't stay straight. And you wind up with the you know brothers facing off thing, and you know the the in the the, the hair and leather and high heel era of the 1970s. And it's it I don't think it works as well as it probably could, partly because we've seen this before. But um, you know what? I, it, it's got a really good cast and mostly sustains it. Matthias Schonertz is in this movie, and I always enjoy him. Uh, he's the guy from uh, from Bullhead, the uh, the Belgian film. 
Chopra, James Kahn, always great. Mila Kunis, surprisingly good. Zoe Saldana, surprisingly good. And, of course, Marion Cotillard does show up in here as well. Um, I think it would be, uh, you know, uh, stupid not to if you, if you can bring her in here. But really, it's Clive Owen and Billy Crudup who own the movie. They own the movie, and they do a great job. Clive Owen can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. So, anyway, it's worth checking out. I, I'd hoped for a better film, but it's certainly, I think it's still very, very solid. Uh, this is a Blu-ray and ultraviolet combo set. And now, I'm going to tell you when I first met James Gray. Okay. Yeah. Let's give you a little James Gray. Okay, it's The Yards. I didn't mean The Gray. Man. Yeah, The, the yards, yards, sure. Two Lovers with Joaquin Phoenix. Very good. Oh, great film. That's right. Great film. So James Gray, he has yet to have his, like, his, his hopefully The Immigrant is it, his super breakout, give him a couple of Oscars movie. James, James he's, is a, he's almost there. James is a tremendous director. He really is. And uh, I, I met James. I was at UCLA Film School. And, you know, Matt Reeves, who a good friend of mine from high school, Matt, who just directed the Planet of the Apes movie. Matt was at USC. I'd introduced Matt to, to Brian Burke, who, you know, runs Bad Ro- Robot for JJ, who you went to school with. Oh, my gosh. You hear all those sounds? It's us <laughs> dropping, dropping names. And, uh, and yet here we are in my living room doing a podcast. So, uh, so I, you know, I schlepped down. It's, it's like, I, I can't remember. It's like October, I guess it is, because it was a Halloween-themed thing. So, anyway, I schlepped down from UCLA over to Brian's house because he lived near UCLA at the time because he was shooting his student film at USC and it had something to do with kids on Halloween who were toilet papering the house and the neighborhood and whatever. And I can't even remember what it was. So I schlepped down a few blocks from the school to you know, help him shoot some stuff. And here is his very cynical, very upset at Brian's unprofessionalism DP, his, a colleague of his, James Gray who, you know, was, was just standing around and was just sighing and rolling his eyes. And the whole thing was just not professional up to his standards. It was very funny. And uh, Brian, of course, introduces me. And, uh, you know, you, you, you learn very quickly that James has the driest, most acerbic wit of any human being you will ever get to know. So his movies may seem, like, very dark, but he himself has an amazing wit. And I'll tell you something about James, which is not widely known. Some people have talked about this. But James... The two, the two uh, Looney Tunes shorts that are opera-themed, What's Opera Doc and the, uh, the Rabbit of Seville, committed to memory. He can sing those at the drop of both of them. He will sing them verbatim, word, bam, like that. If you say, uh, Rabbit of Seville, uh, let, me t- let me crop your mop, let me come up. Right off the top of his head, he's got them down. I cannot wait to moderate a panel with James Gray it will, and it, ask him to do that. It will blow your mind. It gets a standing ovation. It is astonishing how he can do that. I'm, it, it just floors me. So anyway. I have something astonishing. Yes, what do you have? In my pants. Oh, that's an old one. You know, we've, and by uh, old, I mean, you know what I'm saying. We've waited a while for a um, sequel to 300. Turns out uh, no, we, we didn't. Uh, no, we actually didn't. We didn't wait long enough. No, no, I didn't wait. I didn't, I didn't want this movie. Uh, 300 Rise of an Empire. This Ugh. is in uh, 3D Blu-ray. I don't know why they're doing stuff in 3D Blu-ray. It's just such a non-starter. Uh, 3D Blu-ray, regular Blu-ray, DVD and digital HD. Um, you know, I don't know what to say. If you liked uh, the other one, mm-hmm. I guess you'll like this one. This one has... Uh, oh, come on, wait. Do I have to talk about this movie? No, not really, because no one's going to see I mean, it. I mean, what am I, 25 years old? It's, it's, it's <laughs> over. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Okay. This is terrible. You know, the cast is fun. You know, Eva Green is interesting because Eva Green has an interesting look because obviously she's gorgeous, but she has that look where she she can look like badass, you know, like he, she is here. Yeah. Or she has like a funky mouth where she almost looks like she could do like a comedy or almost look ugly in a film if she wanted to. 
She's got an interesting face. I mean, she's beautiful, but she has an interesting face. Anyway, what I'm saying is that uh, it's just one big video game and a lot of blood, which I guess is, uh, means something to somebody. And uh, it's just terrible. I just I don't like these movies. I didn't like the first one. I don't like this one. Um, I just think if you want a bunch of CGI blood, very highly stylized CGI, I guess you can go for it. But it's just a bunch of men leaping up in the air as they, as they unsheath their swords. So, yeah, it's stupid. Whatever. So, Winter's Tale is a movie that got really unfairly maligned. Uh, did you see Winter's Tale? No, I did not. Uh, this is a Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet combo set. Uh, Colin Farrell, Russell Crowe, Jessica Brown Findlay, and I think it's I think it's sharp. I'm I'm pretty much loving everything Colin Farrell does these days. And Colin Farrell and Russell Crowe in the same movie to me is like, you know what? If if I were not a straight man, this would be my movie. No, no, no. The reason why there, I, I, I will give you. Um, two words as to why I did not see this movie. Why? Akiva Goldsman. Akiva Goldsman wrote and directed it. Why don't you like Akiva Goldsman? Because you know what? He writes bad movies. He writes Angels and Demons and The Da Vinci Code. And he wrote A Beautiful Mind. Okay, you got to give him that. He also wrote Lost in Space, Practical Magic. He wrote Batman and Robin. But you know he what? Was, he was a big... Uh, tentpole guy He was Like in the mid-90s But they were all, those are all For higher gigs You know Those are for higher gigs And he's doing his, he's, do, he's just going Through the motions But the, he wrote And directed this Based on the uh, The Mark Halpern novel From 1983 And uh, It's his directing debut And I I'm, I'm sad that it was A bomb When it was released Because it, This thing tanked I mean It just dropped Like a stone And that's too bad Because I really think It's got some Cool edges to it uh, it's a it's a supernatural romance, you know, in kind of set in the past and in the present, and uh, I, I I won't go into all of the little ins and outs of it, but I I really thought this this had some really nice stuff in it. It's just too bad. I'm I'm afraid that it it'll kind of tank his career as well. So anyway, but it bombed, and that's just too bad. Uh-huh. And, you know, i got to tell you, man, I love Denis Villeneuve. I do. I think he's great. I've been on board with this guy forever, all the way back to Maelstrom. You know, his, uh, his, uh, he's a French-Canadian filmmaker. He did Maelstrom. He did Incendie, which got him an Oscar nomination. Sure, great and film. Th- and, then he, and then just last year, he did the, uh, the, the, the big Hugh Jackman deal. Uh, yeah, Prisoners. Prisoners. Intense. Insane how intense that movie was. And then he turns around with Jake Gyllenhaal, who's also in Prisoners, and does Enemy. And I'm thinking, dude can do no wrong. He, this is, he is just rocking it. And you, you watch Enemy and you go, what? Where did, why did, with the, all that you were, had going with the, like, what was the What's point the of, thing with the guy and the thing? Yeah, I don't understand this. Uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal in this wee, weird dual role. And it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's... It's very the, 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 it's very strange. The whole idea of I mean, doppelganger stories typically don't really work. There are very few that ever have. Well, uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg just did a doppelganger I know, film. I know, I know, and they came out around the same time, both of them. And it's like, really, what, what's what's in the zeitgeist now that everybody wants to play their own evil twin in a movie? It's very strange. Uh, anyway, uh, it just it, I, I get I get that actors really want to do that, but it doesn't necessarily work. Very strange thriller. Um, Melanie Laurent is in it, and I, I always love her. I thought she's she's just she can do no wrong. But I don't know, man. It just seems like a weird misfire for for these guys. So uh, I had hoped for better, but he'll be all right. Yeah. Anyway. 
And uh, then we've got, lastly, on the new movie front, uh, the, the one that everyone's been waiting for. I mean, we all have been sitting on pins and needles, even people who didn't want to see 300, uh, Return of an Empire, Raise of an Empire, whatever it's called. You're, I know you're all thinking, I have got to see Wolf Creek 2, right? Huh? Everyone? Anyone? Wolf Creek 2? No? Okay, maybe not. Uh, Wolf Creek, of course, was an Australian film that got a, a bit of a cult following, and uh, now they have felt the need, I guess, to make a gorier, less sensible, more exploitive um, sequel in Wolf Creek 2. And, uh, I, I, you know, if you're a horror fan, I'm sure this just scratches every itch you have ever had, but I just it gets so tiresome to me. So uh, I, I recommend this strictly to people who uh, who just cannot who cannot get their fill of the the Wolf Creek franchise. I'm sure there'll be a Wolf Creek three. Uh, Wade, uh, I'm kind of a fan of Comedy Bang Bang. Now, Comedy Bang Bang is a Comedy Central uh, show. actually it's an IFC show, and um, it is uh, based on a comedy podcast that used to be called Comedy Death Ray, or Comedy Death Ray Radio, I guess it was called. And uh, it was funny stuff. It was Scott Aukerman and a very bizarre comic who I've seen on stage named Reggie Watts. He's African-American. He has this huge afro and beard. And he's got this very strange, bizarre stage presence. Um, but it's funny stuff. And so IFC gave him a show called Comedy Bang Sweet. Bang. And uh, it's good. It's 20 episodes. It's on DVD, not Blu-ray, unfortunately. 20 episodes. You get a lot of decent uh, guest stars because, again, this show has a... Comedy. It has a cult following within in the, within the comedy community. Mm-hmm. So some of the guest stars include Jessica Alba and Aziz Ansari, David Cross, Jim Gaffigan, who I love, uh, Anna Kendrick, Andy Richter, um, uh, Andy Samberg uh, shows up. So it's really good stuff. A lot of special features. There's commentaries. There's deleted scenes. So if you like kind of that, uh, you know, UCB. Stand-up comedy, not not sure. like not like Groundlings Comedy Store type comedy. This is way more a little bit out there, but I like it. Uh, check out Comedy Bang Bang. All right, Mark, I'm going to blow through a, a bunch of uh, British television here, and then let you get back to regular TV. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can because we got a lot of British TV that has accumulated over time. Uh, William Shakespeare Collector's Edition. William Shatner Collector's Edition. No, William Shakespeare. William Shatner. Well, same thing, right? We've heard we've we've heard Shatner do to be or not to be the best. It's, it is, isn't it? it? To be or not to be—that is the question. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> it's just it just doesn't get any better. Uh, now this is William Shakespeare Collector's Edition from PBS, which is a little odd because you think, oh, it's like all of Shakespeare. No, it's not. It it's just Macbeth basically. Um, seven hours on three DVDs. Which includes uh, the, uh, the, the previously released Patrick Stewart Macbeth, which I saw on stage on the West End, I should point out, and was amazing. And as good as it is here, obviously, live is so much better. Uh, and this also includes In Search of Shakespeare, which was another PBS release, and uh, the complete play of Macbeth, um, and then a gigantic memorabilia collection Shakespeare just Shakespeare stuff galore you know little notes and maps and pictures and all this kind of stuff so uh, really this is a, a big homage to Shakespeare primarily centered around Macbeth and in search of Shakespeare but uh, it's a nice box set it's a nice gift so you should definitely you know consider this if you have a somebody who's a fan it's a, it's a nice gift to give uh, Poirot 
the uh, Poirot series are, are finally making their way slowly onto Blu-ray, and Poirot series 11 and 12 are out, uh, two discs apiece, both from Acorn. These are finally in the original United Kingdom broadcast order, which previous releases were not, and Poirot has been split between, you know, like uh, A&E had a lot of these titles for a long time, and there were, there were the series, there were the one-hours, and then there were the two-hour mysteries, and it all got very confusing, and a lot of people were just sort of trying to get their complete Poirot collection, and they ne- never quite could. Um, but what's really nice about this is that you, 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 a lot of these actors that we're now really familiar with uh, that we weren't at the time, but they've been in other shows that are, that are you know hugely popular. Now you get to revisit this, and you're like, hey, look at that! There's uh, Jessica Sta- Jessica Chastain and Hugh Bonneville and uh, I, you know Eileen Atkins and you know people who've really gone on to do bigger and better things. That's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so you get these uh, you know four mysteries apiece uh, on two discs, series eleven and twelve on Blu-ray. And even though this was not a terribly well shot show. I will say Acorn has done a good job getting these things to look pretty darn good. Uh, really quickly, uh, knock out a couple more before I let you do, a, uh, do another thing. The Making of a Lady, the original UK edition, originally aired here on PBS, is the uh, adaptation of the Frances Hodgson Burnett novel. Uh, about a, uh, with, like all these things, it's always about some young Victorian woman whose life is just, you know, completely messed up. And this is exactly the same thing. Uh, a, a poor young woman and uh, who winds up meeting a, 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 a young man who, shall we say, um, uh, has a thing for her, as they often do in these, uh, in these, uh, in these kinds of uh, Sense and Sensibility uh, Jane Eyre type deals. Anyway, um, good story. One that I was—I've never read the book. Uh, was not that familiar with the the story in any in any case. But I, I like all of this Victorian literature to begin with, and I thought this was a very very good uh, good rendering of it. Nicely cast. Uh, a lot of people that I hope to see in other movies at some point. Uh, great Blu-ray from PBS. And then uh, also we've got Guy Pierce, who uh, is in the Rover right now and is freaking awesome in the Rover. Guy Pierce rocks. It's about a dog, right? Oh, you have no idea. Uh, set two of Jack Irish. Guy Pierce is amazing. This is based on the books by Peter Temple. Two discs. And uh, he, uh, you know, Guy Pierce, the more lines he gets in his face, the better he is. So, um, really, really good stuff. Uh, this is also on Blu ray and DVD from Acorn. Uh, Wade, do a little Star Trek for you. We have uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 6. This is the uh, season uh, 1992-93. By this point, uh, the show is uh, easily one of the best on television, and um, Season 6 is one of its best seasons. I uh, My favorites here are, um, uh, what's it called, Tapestry, where uh, Picard dies in an accident, and he has and he goes through the afterlife and analyzes his past choices. I really like that one a lot. Also, uh, Mr. Scott uh, comes back in an episode called Rascals, which I, I think was called Rascals. Uh, it was called something. No, actually, it wasn't called Rascals, but actually, does Mr. Scott come back in this episode? Can't remember. Uh, my memory. Yeah, no, he does. He yeah. does. God, my memory's dying. Um, Mr. Scott comes back in an episode that was pretty terrific, except I thought Mr. Scott should, should have died at the end of it, but he did not. I'm just saying he should have died at the end of the episode, but he didn't. Mm. Um, anyway, so this is a good uh, season. It does have the uh, birthright, which is uh, a two-parter with Worf. I don't like any of the Worf stories where you talk about uh, honor and everyone. The, the, the lighting is also due. There's like smoke, and everyone talks about honor and purity and, uh, oh, of course and the, they the, do. The, the, the croc croc ceremony. I don't like any of that stuff. 
So forget Birthright, but there are some great episodes, especially Tapestry and also the two-part Chain of Command, uh, which was one of the classic Star Trek two-episode arcs that is not only included in the Season 6 Blu-ray, um, but it is also broken out into its own separate DVD release. Very nice. Which is just Star Trek Next Generation Chain of Command. Uh, special features there include an audio commentary by Ronnie Cox, who plays the uh, Cardassian villain who tortures Picard. It's very funny. When the show first came out, we thought, oh, Cardassians, they're a terrible uh, new Star Trek villain. Now in 2014, Cardassians sounds like Kardashian. Oh, that's the worst. That's not fair. Anyway, so uh, I think this is a good season, one of the best of Star Trek The Next Generation. So I would go ahead and spring for the, um, for the whole season. Of course, what I'm waiting for, and don't know if it's ever going to happen, I'm waiting for, because there's only one more season left. The show only lasted seven seasons. I know. So I'm hoping for one big honkin' next generation mega insanity set suitable for display on your Blu-ray DVD bookshelf. Don't know if it's going to happen. We have no intelligence on this. In fact, we have no intelligence generally. What I'm saying is, once the seventh season comes out, I would love to see a big-ass honkin', put them all in like a huge die-cast Enterprise model, stick them all in there. be awesome. Okay. But until then, season six, good stuff. I, I got also, you. Also, know, a couple of the episodes in season six were uh, directed by Adam Nimoy, Leonard's son. Oh, good. That's Your name is son Adam? Your name is daughter Eve? What's up with that, yo? See, that's not... What up word? That's just not right. Bro... Bro. All right. Uh, you know, some great uh, period mystery here. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries Series 2, uh, based on novels by Carrie Greenwood. This is an Australian series, which is why I included it in British television, because, you know, Australia, Canada, you guys, you're still part of the British Empire, right? You're still part of the Commonwealth. You didn't fight a war, right? So why, why, should, I, why should I, like, what up? Um, no, this is really good stuff. This is uh, Australian television, which is a lot like British television in many respects, and uh, set in the 1920s in Melbourne. And she's sort of like, uh, you know, she's like uh, Miss Marple, except she's young and hot, which tells you where that the Australians actually have their priorities in a good place. And, uh, you know, the, the pizzazz and the flash of the 1920s, not entirely unlike the rest of the world at that time. Really fun stuff. And what's really nice about period mystery is that you can't rely on, like, a Google search or on forensic, uh, you know, uh, microscope analysis to solve your mystery. It's got to be old-fashioned sleuthing. And that goes a little bit for George Gently as well. Uh, George Jetson? Yes, exactly. George Gently's Series 6. Uh, this uh, the, the Series 5 ended on a very dark note, and uh, six months later, after th- that dark note, this picks up, and uh, you're now in 1969, and uh, all of the turmoil of that period in England is very much the backdrop of this, uh, this outstanding show, which gets better and better with each successive series, and uh, Series 6 is far and away the best series yet of that. Mr. Selfridge Season 2, Jeremy Piven, uh, at his level best, much better than anything I've ever seen him in, the lone American in this cast of Brits as the American guy who established the 
the, the, the uh, department store known as Selfridges in London. If you've ever been there, it's amazing. I've been there a million times. I never realized it was an American who founded the thing. The first season was great. Uh, the second season is even better. Really great stuff. And I don't know how much of this is now starting to, they're starting to fictionalize and how much of it is really based in fact. But it doesn't matter because it's really good. It's well written and it's maybe a notch below Downton Abbey, and that's a, that's already high praise. And then uh, lastly, uh, on this little batch, we have got Ripper Street season two. Uh, this has been a big deal on BBC America in the states, and uh, this, of course, is you know very much in that uh, that that uh, Dickensian Victorian. Uh, uh, the, the grit of it, right? The, the Jack the Ripper slash uh, Sherlock Holmes era. And um, it, uh, this, this show has, it really kind of pushes the envelope and it's, uh, it's a little bit tough, but I, I still really enjoy it. I, uh, it's, it sort of doesn't go too far, you know, even though it's, um, it really wants to kind of push your face into, I guess, uh, what was the, what was the, uh, the HBO series, uh, Deadwood? It's got a Deadwood kind of vibe to it. Yeah, I love right? Deadwood. Right? This is like this is like Deadwood in, Vic- in the in the muck and the disgusting, nasty, watery, grungy streets of London, of Victorian London. It's got the same kind of a vibe. So Ripper Street, very very good, uh, but just a tad cartoonish, but not too much so. It it works very nicely. It's got kind of a I guess a a, a graphic novel vibe to it. So anyway, season two, fine stuff. Yes, Wade. Uh, Duck Dynasty uh, season six has just premiered. Its numbers are down. Um, it's still uh, it's still a it's not really a phenomenon anymore. It's just a very very solidly rated show. The phenomenon days are over. Uh, it's obviously it's got to end sometime. And obviously uh, the patriarch of the family uh, didn't do himself any favors with his uh, little rant that went viral on the internet. But anyway. We have on Blu-ray Duck Dynasty Season 5. This one includes an appearance by Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal. Uh, oh, my gosh. Really? Yes, it does. Seriously? Yes, it does. Whatever. Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like, I mean, how, I mean how, what better way to uh, shore up your street cred with that I crowd guess. than going on Duck Dynasty? I guess. Did you, did you see, speaking of, and it's a complete aside, did you see Chris Christie do the, uh, the, 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 the yeah, Father's whatever, Day yeah. dad, dad dancing thing? That, He's like Rob Ford without the cocaine. No, but, but like Michelle Obama went on Jimmy Fallon and for Mother's Day into the evolution of mom dancing, which I'm sorry, I just thought was like, I love Jimmy Fallon. I love all of his shtick, but I was like, oh, dude, no, don't do this. Not with the first lady and the whole, it doesn't, this, this, this is really not, not entertaining and not funny. And then it, and it's like his worst segment of the year, and he goes and he does the, the dad version of it with Chris Christie, and I'm just like, why? This you isn't funny. Can I tell you something? Yeah, go ahead. Now, I Tivo Fallon now. Yeah. And Letterman. Let yeah. me tell you something. Fallon, I'm over it. You know why? Hmm. Because his performance has now ossified where he's got himself a thing and he always does that does that thing, which includes A, laughing uproariously at everything the guest says that he's is even remotely chuckle worthy. He just bowls over laughing. Yeah. Second of all, he is always interrupting his guests. He is never letting his guests get a real story complete thought and he's always interrupting them so he's not Nick Cabot and he's basically just a bad interviewer and the thing is is that at first it seemed kind of charming kind of that oh gosh aw shucks kind of a thing now it's like you know what you've just relaxed throttle back you've got the job the show's a hit you're fine 
Don't rem- don't forget what Johnny did. Okay, your guest is the star. If the yeah. guest looks good, you look good. Yeah, you could say nothing, and if the guest kills, you look good. Yeah, stop interrupting your guests. Okay, so they they don't know when to start their story or stop their story. Okay, stop laughing like what they said is the funniest thing that ever happened in the world, and just. Be interested in your guests. He just yeah. doesn't seem very curious. Oh, well. And also, they also do the same two or three desk bits every day. Okay? Now, some are cute. I mean, yeah. they're like the like pros and cons and yeah. thank you notes. Those are good, solid conceits to throw a lot of jokes in. Yeah. Clever. Especially thank you notes. I think that's, that, that's always fun. But... I mean, come on, more, more, more. Yeah, all right. You know, re, you know, retire old ones, bring in new ones. Don't do the same ones all the time. But what I'm saying is that NBC should be very, very happy, and Fallon has just been worked well for them because they didn't need another Conan O'Brien debacle. But what I'm saying is that Fallon uh, needs to expand his his his, his hosting horizons just well, a little right. bit. All right, and then I'm including this, frankly, in in British television. I'm not going to let you talk about this in regular television, just because it has Michael Sheen in it, and because I think this is a great new show. Masters of Sex, season one. Have you seen this on Showtime? Can I tell you something about Michael Have Sheen? Have you seen this? Michael Sheen dates the hottest girls. What is the thing with Michael Sheen? I don't know, man. But I'll tell you, maybe it's this show. Uh, this, is a, this is a super cool period show. Uh, this is about um, uh, Masters and Johnson. You realize who Michael Sheen's go- new girlfriend is? Sarah Silverman. I know. I mean, he was married to whatever, Kate Beckinsale, whatever her name was, is, shall be. Kate Beckinsale? Whatever, no, the other one. Uh, uh, who's, 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 Kate who's, Blanchett? No, who's the other hot? Uh, Kate Winslet? No, wait, no, he's married to... Uh, Michael Sheen was married to... Uh, Kate Beckinsale, Rachel Mc... Uh, Rachel Mc oh, okay, Kate he was, Beckinsale? He, was, he was He was hooked up with Kate Beckinsale. It won, well, a million years ago. Yeah, for like eight years. Well, that was a long time ago. It was before she married what's his face, the director yeah, dude. It's Kate Beckinsale. She's All hot. Right. Okay, okay Rachel McAdams. Yeah, right. I, I didn't know about that one. Okay, and now Sarah Silverman. Well, so that guy, and okay. he's not that handsome, but he must be just incredibly charming, or he must have a gigantic. Okay, we'll go somewhere. Wallet. Okay. Uh, anyway, Master, uh, Masters and Johnson, uh, William Masters and Virginia Johnson were, of course, the, the you know, they sort of uh, were, the, the, they did all the huge studies on human sexuality. Anyway, this dramatizes all of that, and uh, it's, uh, it's pretty great. Uh, Michael Sheen and, um, uh, and, and uh, Lizzie uh, Kaplan play Masters and Johnson. And you also get Bo Bridges and a whole lot of other really terrific actors in here. And uh, cast and crew commentaries on the on the uh, pilot episode, deleted scenes, making of featurettes. It's a lot of fun. It is. Uh, it's a really really good show. Twelve episodes. This is the first season on Showtime. And in just a couple of weeks, about a month time actually, uh, this uh, this gets rolling again in another season. And I can't frankly wait. I think it's terrific. A uh, couple of other period things from PBS: Murder on the Home Front. Uh, the original UK edition with Patrick Kennedy and Thames and Merchant in uh, basically all set during World War II uh, but looking for murderers in London while the Germans are attacking and uh, it's, it's pretty great. It, it's a really fascinating way of creating a new backdrop for British mystery and British, uh, British crime and uh, somehow they keep coming up with great new shows. I mean, the British crime tradition is one of the best there is, and this is a, this is a pretty sharp show. This is uh, Murder on the Home Front, so uh, definitely check this out. This is, this is cool. Worthwhile. From PBS. And then uh, Call the Midwife, Season 3. 
Uh, I, you know, a, a lot of people have gotten much more into this than I did, but I'm still trying to sort of uh, acclimate myself to it and, and try to love it as much as I love a lot of other shows. Uh, this is uh, takes place in London, in East London specifically, in the 1950s, and um, it, uh, it it's it's you know it's got I I like the cast. I'll say that I like the cast. And then a bunch of Doctor Who's. We've got uh, Doctor Who, The Time of the Doctor, which, uh, you know, uh, suddenly has better costumes than previous Doctor Who's, I will say. Um, Then there's also An Adventure in Space and Tongue, uh, three discs. This uh, features the first Doctor Who adventure ever. And uh, this is... um, Primarily, I would say for fans. Really, uh, pretty much for for fans. This is, it, it just it's just too in, it's too intensely rooted in the lore. I, I don't know that it's anybody who comes to this fresh is really going to be able to make much sense of it. And then uh, similarly, from the Patrick Troughton or Trotton years, is the Enemy of the World, uh, which will make absolutely no sense to anybody who. Uh, I mean, it, this is very early Doctor Who. It's 1960s. And uh, it's a very raw and very uh, technically inarticulate and, you know, not a lot of money in this. Uh, But I guess, you know, if you've seen a lot of later Doctor Who and you watch this, you start to realize there is certain continuity and certain ideas. But, man, I I just, I don't understand how the people who are doing Doctor Who right now even keep track of all this stuff. I don't understand Doctor Who at all. I don't know how they keep track of all the rules and who's done what. I mean, it's just, there are people who are doing this now who weren't even born when there's like there'd already been like five or seven Doctor Who's and a million changes and all that. Oh, just whatever. you know what the, the, I don't the get what it. the name of the phone booth is called? What the retarded is that what it's called? The TARDIS. Oh, not 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 the retarded. No, stop. It's just the okay, worst. Carry on. All right, speaking of the worst, this has got to be the dumbest show ever. Unforgettable, which CBS had actually canceled, and then uh, when there was interest in another network to pick it up, they actually changed their mind and renewed it. Uh, it's a summer series starring uh, Poppy Montgomery. She pl- wait, here's the thing. Yes, she plays a uh, uh, she's a cop. Wait, uh-huh. and she has this uh, uh, this rare condition where she can remember everything that ever happened to her. Yep, pick the day. She'll tell you what she wore, who she spoke to, what they said. Right. Yep. The only thing she can't remember is what happened when her sister was murdered. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, so tragic. So, uh, there you go. So, she, uh, whatever. It's just so bad. Now, it's a summer series. Uh, Season three is premiering soon. And so, in anticipation, they have released season two on DVD. I think the show is ridiculous. Good deal. Uh, Some other detective stuff that is worth checking out. I'll go through real quickly. Uh, These are, well, from Acorn. Um, Most of these are from Acorn, I believe. And then one from BBC. Uh, The Complete Collection of Father Brown, which is, you know, yet another one of these mystery-serving detectives. This uh, stars Kenneth Moore, who is a fabulous actor. Main reason to watch it. Season 10 of New Tricks. Uh, which, if I need to explain this to you, you're, you've been living on Mars. Uh, this is, you know, obviously already a decade old, and uh, it's about retired cops who, you know, bring their expertise to teach those you new young whippersnappers a thing or two. And uh, very, very good show. Uh, then there's also season nine of Dalziel and Pasco, which uh, this is from BBC, 
And uh, this is dark and dark and dark and very dark. But uh, somehow the whole Britishness of it overrides the, uh, the you know, seven slash silence of the lambs-ishness of it. And then Ian Glenn, an actor I've always really liked, and I wish he'd show up in, in more movies again. Uh, Ian Glenn stars in uh, as Jack Taylor, and this is based, as many of them are, on a series of novels. Ken Bruin wrote the crime novels that this is based on. This is set two. And, uh, you know, again, the reason to watch this is for Ian Glenn because he is such a fantastic actor. He was briefly in uh, uh, Downton Abbey and among many, many other things. I want him to be in features. He is a great actor, especially in features and especially the way that he's aging. So um, he's the reason to watch this as well. Uh, this is set two of Jack Taylor. And then uh, we also have Republic of Doyle, season one. And uh, this is a new show. Uh, this is a, uh, a Canadian show, and uh, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, it should have a fairly long life. I would think it's, uh, it's hopefully this will be around for a little while. So um, the stars uh, Alan Hawko and um, Sean McGinley, neither of whom I'm all that familiar with, but uh, they're good. They're good. So. Um, you know, keep it up, and let's see how the uh, how future shows show up. So that is called the Republic of Doyle. That's the first season. Good detective show. Yes, and, Wade. Oh, yes. Wade, you, are you you're Sorry. saving the best for possibly last. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, hit. Let, let's let's rock with that one. Wade, let me tell you something. Yes. Wade, there was a show. Yes. It was an awesome show. Yes. It was a little before my time, so I I only got into it in reruns. For sure. But uh, it was I Spy. Yeah. Now, I Spy uh, was a detective show that was a bit groundbreaking for the time because it co-starred Robert Culp and African-American Bill Cosby. Yes, it did. Now, what people uh, have to understand is that this is 1965. Yep. And the idea that an African-American would star on a network, primetime, one-hour, big-money spy show, unheard of. Mm Mm-hmm. But Robert Culp, God bless him, may he rest in peace, really fought for Cosby to be on the show. It was really Robert Culp. Yep. And Cosby will actually admit this and has talked about this a lot. So thanks to Robert Culp, Bill Cosby wound up with um, uh, the role. They are just the coolest, awesomest, tennis-playingest secret agents ever. We have on this... 18-disc DVD set, which was Blu-ray. A DVD set, we have 82 episodes of the show, and uh, it's great. It was on NBC, and it's a whole lot of fun, and it's a little bit, some of it's kind of dated since it's, it's all like kind of Cold War stuff, but, um, you know, it was, it's a, it was a fun show. It was a really fun show. It was I, very I, well written. It was, it was executive produced by Sheldon Leonard. Now, Sheldon Leonard, of course... Had that, uh, it had that great kind of Saul Bassey title sequence to it yes. as well. You know, fun stuff. Saul Leonard, of course, also produced, uh, you know, uh, Gomer Pyle and Dick Van Dyke show, the Andy Griffith show. Did a lot of stuff. So, um, this is a great show. I Spy, your parents are going to love it. In fact, it's Father's Day. No, actually, Father's Day passed last week. Yeah. Um, so, forget that. Uh, a belated Father's Day gift. Yes. Could be. Or a very early Father's Day gift for next year. Could be so you're not spy. a father, so you're not keeping track of these things. No. I had good. a very interesting Father's Day. I'll tell you more about it afterwards. God. Anyway. It's your uh, first Father's Day. It was your first Father's Day. No, second. Oh, really? Yeah. Happy birthday. No, nah, not really. Okay, and, and then lastly, I just before we, we, we can this show, Mark, I, I, you know, a couple of BBC things just to cover here. Um, when BBC goes ancient, 
ancient-ish, it could go one of two different directions. It could be either chased by dinosaurs, which is the walking with dino- the latest walking with dinosaurs deal. And you know, uh, this is this is always this is always fun. The animation's sharp, and these guys really do a great job with their computer animation. It's very very realistic. It's better than Jurassic Park at this stage. Um, and uh, this is this is fun. You know, we get the, we, the return of the Velociraptors, and I, I'm good with this. The chase by dinosaurs, good scary stuff. Well done, educational. I don't know what they're thinking. What is up with Atlantis? What is up with this show? Are you familiar with this show? No, it's stupid. It's terrible. BBC has a lot of great shows. This is not one. Well, it is. This is like this is like Xena and Hercules revisited. I don't understand this. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the the whole there's nothing good that comes out of the Legend of Atlantis. It was not a good animated film. Um, the original movie, Atlantis Lost Kingdom which is, what, 1960-something, late 50s, early 60s, where people, it's like almost like Island of Dr. Moreau set on Atlantis. It was, it's ridiculous. It's, like, it's truly one of the worst films ever made, which is why I keep the DVD, to prove to people this thing actually exists. It's ridiculous, truly ridiculous. Um, you just can't, you can't do this right. And uh, I'm so sorry to see Mark Addy in this, because I love Mark Addy, and I was wondering what, what had happened to him. And sure enough, um, Mark Addy, is, here he is. And I get it. It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be campy. Uh, I get it. But I don't understand why it, it, it's not. It just isn't good. It just isn't good. It's just, it's not good. So, sorry, you guys gotta, gotta help me out here. I, I, I desperately want to know who came up with this and why this uh, very strange, unusual odd and unfunny show uh, somehow prevails. Is it, is it going to continue? Do I have to suffer through more of this? I don't know. Anyway, there it is. And Mark? Yes. Any, 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 any dating escapades that we can go out with that can you share with us, like how, how your life has changed in strange and wonderful ways? No, although I have to admit I spent all of last week's podcast texting my ex-girlfriend. Oh, well, that's... Oh... Well, with on that note, <laughs> on that note, what I don't know. On that note, I to be I continued. Think, yeah, to hopefully be, not. We'll 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 go out on that note. <laughs>